Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. To do a Bible study on healing, I've had so many, so much of the time through my ministry, I've had so many people come to me and talk to me about healing and um, just felt like this would be a great subject to explore and to dive into the Word of God. And, you know, I will say this once again, I will, I will say to you that what we want to do in this and what I've tried to do is to eliminate opinion. Now, I do believe there is educated opinion and I do believe there are people that are very scholarly and they have taken the time to study and mine out truth and we know that and we know that we can rely on that. But ultimately, what we really want to do as our first source of, of foundational material is to go back to the Word of God. What does the Bible say? And to look at the Bible and then come to our conclusion. So we need to come to a conclusion based on Scripture, not Scripture that has been manipulated or Scripture that's been twisted to make it sound uh, like what we want it to sound like, but what does the Bible say? And so that's the goal of all that we're doing here. So if we can, could we just take a moment and open up in a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you right now in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much, God, for this opportunity to study your word. Father, we love your word. We crave your word. And Father, we want your word to be uh, the, the one thing in our life that guides our thinking, it guides our actions, it guides our walk, it guides how we speak, it guides everything about us. Your Word, God, is, is, is the thing that we want our lives to stand upon. And Father, as we uh, embark in this Bible study on healing, Father, lead us, guide us, show us your truth, God, and make it come alive to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I will begin by saying you've got the notes with you now. Many of you know that uh, my notes are that what you have in front of you is a pared down version of my notes. Uh, they, you, not everything that I have in my notes is in your notes. Uh, some of my notes are notes for me, just reminders for me, so you don't want all that stuff. But uh, I've, I've made sure that all the scriptures that I use are in your notes so that you can go back and uh, study those uh, at your leisure and to make sure that we are indeed following the Word of God. Um, and I want to begin by saying and just recognizing just for a moment that divine healing is one of those subjects in Christianity that is vigorously debated. Um, if you've been around any while, you will know that people on both sides of the fence have weighed in on this subject, both people for healing and people against healing. And surprisingly, when you look at all of the controversy surrounding healing, most of the debate exists within the church. And I find that to be remarkable. Um, because incredibly, people who have clear access to the Word of God challenge many times the validity of divine healing, even to the point that they insist that there is no real evidence to demonstrate that healing 
is for today. And I think that's tragic. In fact, they go so far as to say that healing, with the exception of sovereign moments, has passed away. They have no problem uh, with the idea of healing uh, being a very real part of Jesus' ministry. And in, it was a very common thing in the early days of the New Testament church. But they simply do not believe that it is valid for today. And even among people that believe that God is a healer and that his, he is truly that, they still struggle with healing. And to be honest with you, I have to be honest, I have struggled. But my struggle has, has been what has caused me to go deeper. Um, because what I did not want to do is just default to my struggle and then just push it aside. What I did is I let my struggle be the thing that pushed me into the Word to say, okay, God, I want to know the truth. I want to know what you say. And so in this study, what we're going to discover is that healing is not only relevant today, but it is an extremely in, it is extremely important for more than just the obvious of setting people free from sickness and disease. Listen to me, there is no doubt that Jesus paid a price for our healing. We'll see that here in a minute. And we know that Jesus wants to set us free from sickness and disease. There's no doubt about that. But if you think that that's all that it's about, you're missing the truth of the word. Healing many times was the very tool that God used to bring about evangelistic events, evangelistic moments where people came into a place where they believed God and they believed in Jesus as Savior. And let me say this, let me, let me say this one thing to you about miracles and about the greatest miracle, and, and if we can even use the word healing, the greatest miracle of healing is the salvation of a soul. Are you hearing me? The conversion of a soul, somebody that comes into a place where through faith they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and then God heals that soul from the damage that is done by sin and brings them back into relationship, right relationship with Him, and restores all that was lost at the fall. That is the greatest work of healing. Amen. And it, 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 it stands head and shoulders above the rest. So let's never forget that, that, that this is not to replace any of that. This is not to be more of a priority than any of that. The reality is it works in conjunction with that. Can you say amen to that? Now, the way that I'm going to approach this study is by answering questions that are uh, uh, common concerning healing. And the first question that I want to answer is this, is healing the will of God for today? The second question is just like it, is it always God's will to heal? And the third question is the key to all of it, is healing a part of redemption? Now, the reality is, is as we go about answering any one of those questions, you can pick one of those questions, and when you've answered one of them, you've answered them all. It doesn't matter if you pick the first, second, or third one. 
It doesn't matter what order you put them in, because I tried to put them in order of priority. I tr- actually did this as I'm writing these notes and putting this down. I'm, I'm looking at them in, or- in order, and when you answer it, it an- literally answers yes to all three. And so that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to approach this. So I want to begin with a quote from one of my favorite auth- authors on the subject of healing, F.F. F. Bosworth. He said in his book, Christ the Healer, he said this, before anyone can have a steadfast faith for the healing of their body, they must rid themselves of all uncertainty concerning God's will in the matter. Appropriating faith cannot go beyond our knowledge of the revealed will of God. Before attempting to exercise faith for healing, we need to know what the Bible plainly teaches. That is just as much that just as much God's will to heal the body as it is to save the soul. Now that's key. That last that last statement you need to hang on to. It is just as much God's will and desire to heal the body as it is to save the soul. Now, in answering the question, is healing uh, the will of God for today, I believe the thing that we need to do first is we need to look at the nature and character of God. And the reason is, is because it's impossible for anyone to act outside of or live or behave or respond in life in a manner that is contrary to their nature. And that would include God in heaven. A nature, think about this for, every, for a moment, everything in, in creation is created with a nature. Everything. It doesn't matter if you're a frog or an apple tree. Or if you're a human being, you have a nature. Can you say amen? And by, de- by definition, nature is the essence of life that denotes the fundamental disposition and characteristics of something or someone, including the ways of thinking, feeling, and acting. Now, I know that trees don't think, feel, and act, but they still have a nature. Their nature is to produce what they are. An apple tree, by nature produces apples, an orange tree, oranges, a watermelon seed by nature produces watermelons. If you ever plant watermelons and you get tomatoes, there is a big, big problem. Either you have been told a lie about what you have, or there is a transformative miracle taking place in the ground, and you need to pay attention. Can you say amen to that? Okay, so everything acts in nature, and even God... Even though he is eternal, having no beginning or end, having never been created, God has a nature. He has a way of thinking, a way of feeling, and a way of acting. And if we're going to understand his will in any given subject, we must first understand his nature. Now listen to me. People oftentimes have asked me, why is it that you pay attention so much to the names of God, because the names of God reveal his nature. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A lot of people, they look at studying the names of God as being possibly an extraneous study. Oh, it's interesting, but is there any value? There is huge value in it because it defines exactly who God is and how he operates in heaven and toward my life. 
Are you hearing what I'm saying? In Hebrew culture, a name is not simply an identifier, but a name is a description of an individual's nature. All through the Old Testament, names were given to children, to some degree prophetically, to describe the person's nature. The, probably one of the most famous ones, there's a couple, one is Abram. Abram became Abraham. If you go and look up what does Abram mean, it means father. If you look up Abraham, it means father of multitudes. So God changed his name. He was given a name. It describes something he was going to be, but then God says, I'm going to up the ante and I'm going to change your name. The other famous one is Jacob. Jacob meant surplanter, cheat, scammer. But God came along, and you know the story. Jacob wrestled with the Lord and wrestled all night, and he wouldn't let go. And finally, God says, you know what? I got to go. And he says, I ain't letting go until you bless me. And the blessing that God gave Jacob was to change his name, which I believe literally changed his nature. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Now, the literal uh, definition of Israel means one who wrestles with God. But many um, in tradition have said it means prince of God. Are you hearing that? So whatever it is, and actually I looked it up, I was studying some commentaries, and they actually say they're really not sure of what it actually means because it's a transliteration. That means they're getting as close as they can to it. The point is, in it, is that it's describing nature. In Exodus 15, 26, God reveals that one of his names is Jehovah Rapha, meaning I am the Lord who heals you. The literal translation of this name is, I am your healing. Healing is as much a part of his nature as his love, his grace, his mercy. It is who he is. It's God's nature. It was God's nature then, and it is God's nature now to be a healer. Can you say amen? So another facet, so remember, we're answering the question, is it God's will to heal today? Okay, or we're answering the question, is it always God's will to heal? Okay, well, the first thing that we've discovered in this entry level is that his name declares his nature that tells us what his will is. Okay, his nature is to heal. Another facet of his nature and character is that God is good. That means God does good. He cannot even be tempted to do otherwise. Look, there is never going to be a time when God does not do good. And I know there's always people that will come and they'll go, wait a second, what about this in the Old Testament? What about that in the Old Testament? What about this? The reality is the Old Testament, under the law, God had a particular purpose and a style of working with man at that time, and he, was, he had certain purposes that he was accomplishing. Now that we are in 
the age of grace, we are no longer under the law, but we are under grace. God does not operate in that place any longer out of judgment and wrath. There will come a time when God will judge the earth. There will come a time when wrath is poured out, but that is not now. Now, we may be leading up to it, but it ain't right now. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And even in the Old Testament, we have example after example after example of the goodness of God that brought about grace and mercy in people that we are, are blown. You know, I think, of, I think of Rahab, the harlot. I think of, of, of uh, Ruth, who was a Moabitist. If you listen to what God says about Moabite people, they weren't good people, but yet Ruth and Rahab are in the lineage of Jesus. Why? It's because of their heart. When a heart responds to God, God responds to the heart because he is good. Can you say amen to that? Now I want you to listen to these verses. In Nahum chapter 1 verse 7, it says, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust him. Psalm 34, 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Psalm 86, 5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. The amazing thing is, is all of those verses are found in the Old Testament. Once again, declaring the goodness of God. Jack Hayford once said these words. He said, we must rid ourselves of the image of a frowning God, brooding in anger, perched on the edge of a 10-mile-high cliff, ready to hurl a quiver of lightning bolts at unsuspecting and helpless people. He says, the beauty of the Father's personality is so perfectly mirrored in Jesus that Jesus said in John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father, to reveal the nature of the Father. And because of his goodness, it is not hard to see that it would be, in fact, the will of God to heal those who trust in him from sickness and disease. Why? Because our Father in heaven is simply a good Father. His goodness motivates him and moves him into compassion for us and in turn brings about a definite response from him. You say, what do you mean? Let me read this scripture. Look at Matthew 9, 35 and 36. It says, then Jesus, now remember, Jesus is the reflection or he is the demonstration of who the Father is. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogue, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The two verse, these two verses for me 
reveal the heart and nature of God in heaven and Jesus on earth. Jesus is moving through the land, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he is preaching, and when he's preaching, he is moved by the plight of those who are in his audience. Because his nature is good, compassion rises, he responds, and everyone is healed. This was not an isolated encounter with Jesus. It was not the exception, it was the rule. Now listen, I want to make a statement to you. I heard this the other day, a man was preaching and I thought it was wonderful. He said, as wonderful as the Reformation was back 500 years ago, that moved us more into a place where personal faith and responsibility came into relationship with God, there was a flaw. And the flaw in that time is they went from preaching the gospel of the kingdom, what Jesus did, to preaching the gospel of salvation. So what happened is we went from this place of this wide, broad, all-fulfilling, all being gospel, meaning taking care of the whole man, the gospel of the kingdom, to the gospel of salvation. In other words, you say, well, what does that mean? What we do is we preach forgiveness and everything else is subject to uh, negotiation. Jesus didn't just come to forgive us. He came to heal us. That is the essence of salvation. What did I say in the beginning? The greatest miracle of healing is the healing of a soul that has been broken and damaged by sin. What Jesus did on the cross is he purchased our healing, our spiritual healing for our soul, but he also, by his body, purchased our physical healing. And I'm going to show that here in a little bit. But we need to understand that Jesus did not preach a gospel of salvation. He preached the gospel of the kingdom. There is, I know you might look at me and go, well, that's semantics. It is not. Because to many, the gospel of salvation is limited to forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is wonderfully important. We need forgiveness. No one's downplaying that. But we cannot isolate ourselves to only one facet of what salvation represents. We must allow the kingdom in its fullness to be upon our lives. Can you say amen? Now, over 200 times in the New Testament alone, the Bible talks about and deals with healing. In the book of Matthew alone, 28, there are 28 chapters, and there are 22 separate examples of Jesus healing. And in five of those examples, the term, he healed them all in one form or another, is used. Not one time did Jesus, not one time did Jesus ever turn to someone who came to him and he sent them away unhealed. That you need to understand. Yes, there were people that did not get healed in the New Testament. But there are no one that came to him for healing, went away unhealed. That we have to understand. That's same true with today. There are people that don't get healed, but somehow, for whatever reason, and we'll talk about those reasons later, but what, for some reason, they don't come to Jesus. Sometimes they come to a man. Sometimes they come to a church. Sometimes they come to a belief system. 
What we need to do is come to Jesus. Can you say amen? Now, I want to read. There's four of these. We've already read one example in Matthew 9, but here are the other four. Matthew 4.23 says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. In Matthew 8, 16 through 17, even when evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and he healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Luke 4:40 says, now when the sun was setting, they all... All, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. In Luke six seventeen through 19, it says, He came down with them and stood in the plain in the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people out of all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And they were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for, for there went virtue out of him and healed them all. Only two times do we see in all of Scripture, or at least in the New Testament, where healing was not received by all. The first time is when Jesus was at the pool, and I, I, I looked up, I pronounce it Bethsaida, but I think that my pronunciation is wrong there. But it's the pool of Bethsaida where multitudes would gather, wait, wait for the angel to trouble the water. And it appears that only one person got healed that day. You remember the story. Jesus is there by the pool. He looks at a guy and he says, how come, you know, do you want to get healed? He goes, well, I don't have anybody to get me in the water. And Jesus begins to deal with them. Now, a the lot of people, they come at this and they go, see, Jesus was selective. He only healed one and there was a multitude there. Now, in context, when you read the encounter, it appears that the whole story is not told. In other words, this story has more information than we see because he encounters this man, he heals them, and then the story immediately switches to the Pharisees being upset about this man being healed on the Sabbath. So the focal point is this one man. We just don't know what else took place with the others that needed healing. Did others get healed? I don't know. But if Scripture is to guide us, the overwhelming evidence is that, yes, they did get healed because that was what Jesus would do. The second time we see in Scripture where healing was not received by all is when Jesus was in his hometown. In Mark 6, 5 through 6, it says, Now he could no, do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Notice, that he, notice it does not say he would not. It says he could not because of their unbelief. Are you hearing me? We could go on and on talking about Jesus healing the sick, but there is just not enough time. The point is, one of the fundamental demonstrations of Jesus' ministry was and is healing. And that is a direct display of his nature. 
In Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, And no doubt you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good. Why? Because he's good. And healing all who are oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Look at nothing has changed. The same Jesus that healed then is the same Jesus that heals today because Hebrews chapter 3 verse 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God is a healing God. His very nature declares it. Is it God's will to heal today? If we look at his nature... The answer must be yes. One of the questions that we pose in this thing, is healing a part of our redemption? And I said to you in the beginning that if we answer this question, this question becomes the key to all of it. See, there is, or I should say, this is where the doctrine of divine healing gets very powerful. Now, let me... Let me say this to you. Is healing a part of our redemption? The answer is absolutely yes. Because it is a part of the covenant that we have through the shed blood of Jesus. And it is a specific work revealed through the price that Jesus paid at the cross. Now, in an attempt to keep this simple and understandable, I'm going to give you scriptural evidence and explain it to you one at a time. Now, some of it may overlap. This, was, it, th- this, this study was very difficult to write. And you say, why is that? Because there is so much. And so sometimes to pare it down and to bring it down into a place where we can really see it and understand it, it, it took me time to sort through stuff. And, you know, because my nature is to have 45 pages. Well, nobody's going to stay here six hours with me, okay? <laughs> so I had, to, I, I, I had to bring it down, and what I found as I brought it down that some of it would overlap. So I'm going to go through this methodically, a, a scripture at a time, and, and bring about that explanation. So in Isaiah, we're going to begin this idea about healing be, being part of our redemption in Isaiah, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. And this is the standout passage of Scripture that points to all, all forms of healing, spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical healing being a part of our redemption. See, healing is deeply interwoven in the plan of God, and it is literally the very basis of our redemption. Are you hearing me? It is a part of our salvation. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. In the New American Standard Bible, and if you understand about Bible versions, you'll understand that the New American Standard is, is closer to the original language. It says, however, it was our sickness that he bore, himself bore, and our pains that he carried. 
Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, and humiliated. But he was pierced for our offenses. He was crushed for our wrongdoing. The punishment of our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Now, the first thing that I want you to notice in this passage is this phrase, he himself bore. What does that mean? That means that Jesus was our scapegoat. Because in the book of Leviticus, I believe it's in Leviticus 16. I, I could be wrong about the chapter, but I know it's in Leviticus. Once a year, the priest would lay hands on a male goat. There was a whole ceremony. It was, it was actually, I believe, around the, Samar- uh, the ceremony of Yom Kippur. And what would happen is the, the priest would have two goats. One would be sacrificed, and then the, the other living goat the priest would lay his hands on him and confess all the sins of Israel. Then it would be driven out or sent out of the camp to bear the sins of the people away from the camp. This is the exact same imagery that is used here, yet with the addition of the promise of healing. Are you hearing that? So Jesus, we know that all of the things that took place in the sacrificial law that God had established under Aaron, Moses and Aaron, we know that was a foreshadowing of what was going to come in Jesus at the cross, right? We know that. Now, we could take weeks to study just that out. But the reality is, is here is the ceremony, the ceremony of the scapegoat, and the, and the priest would confer the sins of the people on that goat and drive it out. This is the same imagery when it says he himself bore. What did he bear? He, be- he bore our sickness, our disease, our pain. The Isaiah the prophet declaring the, thing, the things that Jesus would suffer, he tells us there's four things that were taken from us. First, he says our griefs which the literal translation is sickness and disease. He took our sorrows. The literal translation is both pain. It's, it's pain, both emotional and physical. Our transgressions, which literally translated is our sin, rebellion, and trespass. And our iniquities, which is translated perversity, depravity, and guilt. But this also carries, it with, carries with it the idea of the consequences or the punishment for iniquity. That's what Jesus took. Then he tells us what he gave us. He gave us peace. The literal translation, and and if you ever do a word study on peace, you will not be disappointed. Peace, it's the word shalom, and and there are so many things about shalom, and and, and let me see if I could give you a couple of them. First of all, the literal translation is it's completeness, soundness, wholeness, welfare, safety, health, and prosperity, and each of these are in the context of restored relationship with God. But here is the greater revelation. If you understand anything about uh, Hebrew writing and Hebrew words, you'll understand that Hebrew letters are in fact themselves words. Okay, and so when you look at the spelling in Hebrew of the word shalom, and you read the words in the letters, I, 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 I don't know the exact translation. I'm looking at Kelly because I know she does, but I think it, it's, it's the destroyer of chaos. Is, am I right? Basically, what the letters of the word shalom 
means it destroys chaos. That is powerful, church. He is the prince of the power that destroys chaos. He's the prince of peace. He is the prince of wellness and wholeness and completeness and welfare and all of those things. And then he, he goes even beyond that of the shedding of his blood. He was, you know, he was bruised, he was pierced, he was beaten, all of that for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, our wellness, our wholeness. And then he ups the ante and he says, and by his stripes we are healed. Those stripes is talking about the beating, the whipping that he endured at, the, at the, uh, the hands of the Roman guard. That was literally the price. He paid the price for our healing. So when we look at this issue of salvation of what Jesus is doing at the cross, not only is he, he providing for a broken soul and the sin that separates us between, separates us with God, but he is also looking at the mental, emotional, and physical realities of our life. Salvation doesn't just get us a ticket to heaven. It heals the whole man, body, soul, and spirit. Are you hearing me? Jesus purchased not only our freedom from sin, but our freedom from sickness. Now notice the actions in this verse. Our transgressions and our iniquities being taken from us at the same time peace and healing are given to us. If the suffering and death of Jesus purchased our forgiveness of sin, then it also purchased our healing. Now let's see if we could take this further. Forgiveness and healing are eternally tied together at the cross. Jesus connected it when he healed the paralytic. Okay, Jesus himself connected this in Mark chapter 2, verses 9 and 11. Jesus says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, take up your bed and go to your house. This man was made whole. Body, soul, and spirit. What happened internally was revealed externally. Are you hearing me? No doubt that Jesus used this encounter as a visible demonstration of his authority to forgive sin, but it also illustrates the relationship between forgiveness of sin and healing. Jesus has the same authority over both sin and sickness, and the grace of God deals with them in the same way. With the same proclamation, Jesus forgave the man's sin and healed him of his sickness. James, in the book of James, it also ties forgiveness and healing together. Notice how he confidently asserts the outcomes of the prayer of the sick. In James 5, 14 through 16, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick. The word saved 
there or save is the word sozo. We'll talk about that in a minute. And the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Healing and forgiveness go hand in hand. They are inseparable. Another example of healing and forgiveness operating together is found in Numbers 21. This is Old Testament. 21, 7 and 9, it says, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If the serpent had bit anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. When God's people rebelled against him, serpents entered the camp. They were fiery serpents. It was a supernatural event. And God told Moses to make a serpent of brass and to put it on a pole in the middle of the camp, and anyone that would look at it would be healed and forgiven." God made a way for people to escape death and to be healed. And they, and, and they had to do, all they had to do was turn their eyes upon that serpent. But you know what? Some didn't. Some refused. And therefore, they were not healed. John, in the New Testament, picks up this same idea when he describes what Jesus is doing. John 3, 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Why? Because anyone that looks to him on the cross will be forgiven and healed. The implication is that in this story is that looking upon Jesus brings forgiveness and healing. And if you understand God's will towards salvation, you can understand his will towards healing because the same principles apply to both. Failure to understand the connection just causes confusion. If you're a Christian, it is unlikely that you need to ask the question, why are some people saved while others are not? Most Christians know the answer to this question, which is found in the Bible. It's a simple matter that if you accept what Jesus did for you, you're saved. If you don't accept what Jesus did for you, you won't be saved. And in that equation, we never doubt God's willingness or His will to save. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If salvation and redemption contain with it healing, which we have established, then when we come to this place of repentance and ask Christ into our lives, and then begin to walk a different way, not only do we walk in the fullness of forgiveness, but we now also walk in the fullness of healing. 
I didn't forget where I was at. The bottom line, God's will about salvation is known. He wants all people to be saved. He's not willing that any perish, even if some are not. I often, the, the thing that often comes to my table when I'm asked about this is, well, if it's God's will to heal, then why are so many people unhealed? I don't know if that we'll ever be able to provide enough answers to really satisfy that question. We're going to try, though. <laughs> Next week. But the reality is, is God doesn't can salvation because some don't get saved. Nor do we. I don't know about you, but I've pulled a few altar calls in my day that have had no response. None. In fact, I have had more altar calls with no response than I have had altar calls with lots of response. Now, what I don't do is go, well, guess it's not God's will to save. I ain't doing another altar call. You're all on your own. I never do that because I don't know what's going on in people. I don't know all that's going on in the dynamics of their life and the spiritual. It is not for me to judge. I am the deliverer of the message. I can plant the seed, I can water the seed, I can tend the garden by getting the weeds out, and I can harvest the fruit. God says, my job to give the increase. And I need to leave that alone. So just as with salvation, even though people are not healed... We should not assume it's not His will to heal. For there is overwhelming evidence in Scripture by His nature and by our redemption that He, in fact, is a healer. And as a side note, the Greek word that we translate saved is the Greek word sozo or sodzo, if you really want to get technical. The literal translation is forgiven, delivered, and healed. As we kind of bring this down, we're coming to the end here. I thought I would answer this question because I think it, it gives us, it enhances everything that we've studied so far. Where did sickness and disease come from? So the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, By one man sin entered the world, and death by sin. We know that death, sickness, and disease entered the world through sin. We know that death is the ultimate result of sickness and disease. Now, since disease entered by sin, it's true, the remedy must be found in redemption, in the redemption of Christ. It can't be found anywhere else. Now, this is where I wanted to show you these two verses. Because how many know that God works in a very refined perfect legal system. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 and 2 says, Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law 
of the life of Christ, the law of the spirit of life in Christ, the higher law of life, the spirit of life in Christ, sets me free from sin and its punishment. Then he goes on, he takes it a little further in verse 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This word give life is literally, it's the picture of an Old Testament picture. And you'll find this a lot in Psalm 119 is that we are quickened by his word. Quicken means to be made alive. That's healing. His word is healing. Okay? Who is the word? Jesus. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, healing, wholeness, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Sickness and disease came as a result of the fall, but through the work of redemption we are free from the power of sin and we are able to walk in the power of health and life. So, in conclusion, is healing the will of God for today? Yes, because God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Is always God's will to heal? Yes, because it's His nature. His name declares it. Is healing a part of redemption? Yes, because it was the, one of the specific works of the cross. So why are so many sick? You'll have to come back for next week. <laughs> we'll try to answer that. I sat at my computer today as I, I actually... I. I I had been writing this for a while. I called, last night I called Pastor Alex and I called him up and, and it was, I don't know, about, about 8 o'clock, maybe 7.30, I don't know what it was. I called him, I said, I'm going to take tomorrow off. He goes, okay. And I, I just said, I'm, I'm taking the day off. He, I said, I'm really not. I said, I've got myself into some circular logic. And so what was happening when I, I had written a lot and I'm, I'm you know, kind of spinning. Have you ever written it? Maybe you haven't, but I, I'm, so I'm just spinning, and it's like I'm not, I can't get out of this vortex. And so I got up very early this morning, and you say, well, what's very early? Five o'clock. So I was up at five. I got into the, my office. I started working. At 11.30, I finished, and working through this. And I remember at some point around 11, I went, why are you doing this? I, because it's a subject that is extremely extremely difficult because it has to be taken by faith. And everybody hates that. The moment you say, what's healing about? It's about faith. At the end of the day, it's about faith. And, and, and nobody likes that idea. But Jesus, he, he comes on the scene and the disciples said, why couldn't we heal them or heal this young man? And he says, because of your un, undeveloped faith. And your unbelief, and we're going to go into that next week. But the reality is it's a deep subject. It's tough. But it is a subject that we need to study. It is a subject we need to know. Because it's more than just healing. is more than just going out, laying hands on people and seeing them get healed. Le- healing is about the distribution of life. 
It's, 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 it's not just so that, you know, if you've got a headache, you don't have one no more. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not making light of that. It, if you're the one with the headache and it goes away, you're thankful, trust me. I'm not making light of that. But what I'm saying is, is this portion and a, a dynamic of, of, of truth in our salvation is so important because Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, and these signs will follow. They'll be healed. Demons will be cast out. You'll be able to raise the dead. In, in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus gave authority, power and authority to his disciples to go heal and deliver. He has given us that same power and authority. The same commission that was on his apostles is on us. Are you hearing me? This is a part of the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of the kingdom. Amen. We got about five minutes. Anybody got any questions? Real quick. Anybody got a question? Bill Frank. I'm not sure I under, understand what you mean. Yes. 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 But one of the things, yes, I yes, that the the power to heal has always been God's. But one thing you cannot forget, the Bible specifically says that he was crucified before the foundation of the earth. To God, the price was already paid. It just had to play out in the timeline. See, one of the things that really throws us off in the study of the Word of God is time. So God tries to communicate an eternal concept to people trapped in time. And so that is a very, that's a very hard gulf to cross. And so for God, that's why, that, that's why, like, so for instance, I remember when we were building this building, we used to jokingly, 50% joke and 50% serious, we would be in, the, in this room, this, and this was all open. All there was was a shell. In fact, I drove my car in here. My car, and Andy's shaking his head. We would drive around in my car in here and then drive out. You know, you could do that. And so it was all open. And I remember as we were doing, working in here, it was getting towards the end of the building project, and we were tired. It had been three and a half years we were working, and we had gotten down to saying, you know, in two weeks, in two weeks. And when you say that for a year, you get a little bit frustrated. And, and so we were at that point, and I remember we would say, to encourage one another, we would say, look, it, God is meeting with us right now in services we have yet to have in this building. And so it is my belief that because God is eternal, that he lives outside of time, that God is in my past, he is in my present, and he is in my future, okay? 
And to him, whatever is going to happen in my future, though it has not happened for me, for him it has. And I can thank him as if it has happened. I just need to catch up to reality. Does that, does that, I just need to catch up. So to answer your question, I know that's kind of philosophical, but yes, Jesus paid the price, but he was crucified before the foundation of the earth. And I don't really know what that means. That's beyond my pay grade, but I know the Bible says that. And I know the price was paid before it was ever needed. And why the stripes on his back, that was just the fulfilling of that, Alex. That's right. Right. No, that's good. That is good. Yep. Yes. There's going to be a service tomorrow for for Bob Saragusa. He used to come to church here. He graduated. He's with the Lord now. At 12 o'clock, there's a service tomorrow for him. Yep, tomorrow, 12 o'clock. Any, anybody else? A, a question? Yes, sir. When you say, does God use other people? Sure, I, I believe that the, the thing of laying on of hands, God often works through men to bring about healing. In other words, and let me say this too. Let me put out a disclaimer. I believe doctors have a place in the healing economy of God. So I don't, I don't believe that going to a doctor and receiving healing in that manner is a second-class healing. God, all good, the Bible says all good gifts come from the Father above. And so the knowledge and the understanding of medicine and how the body works and the ability to, to bring about a, a, a change in a person's body. I love, though, what Oral Roberts said. Oral Roberts said this about doctors. Now, if you know anything about Oral Roberts, you'll know that he was considered one of the, the 20th century's greatest faith healers. But he also built a hospital. So it almost kind of seems a little bit, you know, uh, diametrically opposed. But Oral Roberts said this, doctors help what nature is already supposed to do. And when nature can no longer do it, supernatural steps in and takes over. And I love that. I love that idea of this partnership. And so I don't want anybody here to get the idea that going to a doctor or receiving medical attention is uh, a lack of faith or somehow walking on, on what God's done. We can trust God in that. that. And I often pray for people that God would guide the doctors, give them wisdom, help them, and, and through that healing ability. In fact, the signia of a doctor is the snake on the pole. It's the, wilder, the snake from the wilderness being lifted up. And so uh, I believe that there, there's a partnership there. Uh, great questions. That's, that's wonderful. I appreciate everybody coming. I hope that you will come back next week. Yes, ma'am.
What's his name? Ryan. Let's pray for Ryan. If you didn't hear that, Ryan's a small boy that had a, a, a very large fall and had brain and spinal injuries. We're going to pray for him. Bill? Okay. So let's pray for Ryan and let's believe God and, and uh, then we'll let you go. Father, right now in Jesus' name, we lift up Ryan right now to you, God. Father, we declare him healed. Father, right now that you would repair and mend that which has been broken. Father, that you would step in, God, and move in that situation. And we do pray, God, for the medical attention that's being given to him, God, that it would work in conjunction with you, God, that there would be a supernatural event. And, Father, that you would move in that whole situation and Ryan would be completely whole and it would be a great testimony of your goodness. And, Father, we give you all the glory and all the honor. And we thank you, Lord, for open hearts. Father, teach us and lead us in this. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're free to go. Remember, come back next week. Uh, next week it's going to be a good, good lesson. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.